Welcome everyone back to the Brocast. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And I'm joined by Tracy Pearson here on the eve of the 2021 UCLA football season. Tracy, how the hell are you? Dude, you just got me very excited. Not right? about foot not about football. <laughs> just I mean, just, yes, I mean a little turgeon. Yeah. Yeah, no, this is you know. I had to do the Dave Woods thing yesterday and and write the little kind of fan if something's happened the little fantasy prediction. You know, you didn't do that this year. Usually you get all excited and you think 11 and 1, 12 and 0. I'm there now. Okay. I'm there now. That's And what's and this this podcast is all about it's going to be really short, tight and sweet all about Hawaii and, and going 11 I, and 1 and winning and a national championship. Yeah. I know very little about Hawaii, so let. I'm just gonna. I'm gonna sit back. I'm gonna clean my house, and I'm gonna let you talk about Hawaii. Right okay. So um, Hawaii returns, as everyone does in college football, quite a bit from last year, and they also have some um, Power Five transfers dropping down a level um, coming in, both on defense and offense. But really, um, uh, defensively, it's a Todd Graham defense. They're going to bring a ton of aggression. They're going to try to blitz the crap out of UCLA. Um, they're not super talented, um, but they do have some transfers uh, coming in, um, and we'll see what kind of impact. Because, you know, it's always weird when Power 5 guys drop down a level, whether they suddenly look like superstars or it turns out that they were just a full bust from the beginning, um, and we're going to see. Um, but a lot of those guys are slotting in to start. Um, so at least Graham sees something that he didn't already have on the roster. Um Offensively, uh, it's not your Hawaii offenses of old. Um, this is not a run and shoot. It is not. Um, it's not very good, frankly. Um, but they have a couple of pieces that you need to pay attention to. Uh, Cordero, their quarterback, is a pretty good dual threat. Um, he can run pretty well. Um, I would say as a passer, he's generally taking dump offs and, and check downs and that sort of stuff. He's not really going to press you too hard deep. Uh, but he completes that stuff at a pretty good rate, which in Graham's, going back to ASU, general style of offense, that's okay. Um, he's generally opted for, you know, just kind of moving the chains and then making a lot of work, making a lot of their yardage up with um, quarterback runs at his own reads and that sort of stuff. Um, and I think it's somewhat similar. Um, I'll be honest, I watched like half of one game of Hawaii last year, but I'm going based off the stats and that looks about right. Um, the... The guy to really pay attention to offensively is their sort of dynamo running back, wide receiver, do-everything guy, um, Calvin Turner. He's uh, really fast, really explosive. He was a transfer in last year um, and did everything for them. He ran out of the backfield. He split into the slot. He returned kicks. Uh, This year he's adding punt return duties on top of that. Uh, He's the guy to mark at all times. But if they do that... I don't see a ton of other threatening skill um, in this roster. Um, did, he, did he also, like, make the uniforms, paint the helmet? Yeah, I um, do. I mean, seriously, the dude was, like, um, he was averaging 10 yards per touch, which if you're, if you're a receiver averaging 10 yards per touch, that's no big deal. He was averaging 10 yards per touch with two-thirds of his touches being runs. So he was averaging 17 yards or so a catch, I think it was, and uh, five and a half yards a run. Right. So dude is uh, dude is very explosive. Um, so that's a guy who I think it's going to translate against UCLA, um, even with the um, 
obvious talent advantage generally that UCLA is going to have in this game. He's a guy who can play on the field uh, with Power 5 athletes. So um, him and Cordero both, uh, I think those are, these are the type of guys that you would, who would reasonably be decent enough to good players on Pac-12 teams. Um, so, and then on top of that, I mean, the offensive line is experienced, but it was also experienced last year. And everything I read from Hawaii people was that they were disappointed in the offensive line's performance last year. So where I would normally look at an offensive line returning essentially five guys who have started multiple seasons I'm putting a little grain of salt on it because these were all guys who were disappointing last year. Um, so I'm not expecting a whole lot from this Hawaii offense outside of Turner. Um, and defensively, while I think they're um, decent, I, I don't think it's actually a good matchup against this UCLA offense. I think the UCLA offense can just run the ball on them and just pound them again and again and again. And I don't know that there's a whole lot Graham's going to be able to do. And if he does try to start doing a bunch of run blitzing and aggressive behavior, UCLA has got one of the better play action weapons uh, in Greg Dulcich. Um, and uh, Dorian Thompson Robinson has shown he can, he can hit that guy uh, pretty easily downfield. So I'm not expecting a super competitive game. It's going to depend on how real the UCLA non-conference doldrums have been or whether that was just a function of playing really tough opponents in non-conference play. Um, uh, a, a few comments. So first you're saying they're going to cover. Yes. Okay. Um, it's funny. I don't know if you watched, uh, Chip's comments on Wednesday talking about non-conference talking about all games or what we take seriously. I, I think, I think he, maybe I'm reading between the lines, but there seemed to be like a subtext there of, I've learned my lesson. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a, I need to go out and win this game on Saturday and do what I need to do to win this game. I, I, that's kind of the feeling. Uh, maybe I was reading into that. Uh, I, I, there's always a problem of, of trying to prepare for a mobile quarterback. Always. Yeah, I mean, you can defend against read options, but it's hard to defend against a guy who just likes to take off. Right. I mean, mm -hmm. how do you practice against that? It's, it's a really difficult thing. You can practice shadowing a guy, but it's just it's a tough thing. Um, and then you didn't talk about <laughs> Bo Graham. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, that, I love that. So that I mean, come on. We're talking about the UCLA fandom, which is very familiar with nepotism. Mm -hmm. Well, it's, so, the yeah. thing with nepotism is, yeah, you do luck out, right, occasionally. Like, you get your Peter the Greats, you get your Frederick the Greats, you get your Queen Victorias or whatever. But you also do get, like, syphilitic, chinless Habsburgs, right? And there's no way of knowing which one you're getting when you uh, work through hereditary guidelines. That's why, um, you know, merit um, or qualifications or experience in any meaningful way where you haven't been hired by your dad would be, if I were hiring um, coaches, would be maybe like the, 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 the resume bullet points I'd be looking for. Um, because, you know, we, uh, I think as a, as a human race, as a civilization, uh, we have tried the hereditary thing for a long time. Um, it, it, you know, ups and downs. I think you want something with a little bit more consistent success is all I'm saying. So maybe don't hire your, your, your kid for one of the most important jobs on your staff. Just, you know, just a thought. Especially one who comes with a really, really thin resume. 
Yeah, well, his entire resume, I think, maybe there was one stop that did not include his dad, but I think aside from maybe Louisiana in 2018, I'm not sure where Todd Graham was at that moment, uh, I think literally every single job on his resume was given to him by his dad. Not unlike Taylor Mazzoni, not unlike Corey Alford, um, you know, situations at UCLA. I'm not just beating up Hawaii to beat up Hawaii. Nepotism is gross. It's disgusting. um, And it shouldn't happen. And here's the thing. I understand letting your son get a foot in the door and you give him a start. Give him a GA job and that's it. And then he goes and gets a real job on merit. Right. But then he goes beyond you and on his merit, he starts rising through the ranks elsewhere. Yeah, you want to talk to me, Jerry Neuheisel, for example, is not a nepotistic thing going on there. Like, somebody else has hired him. It's not his dad. Um, He's just the son of a coach. But Taylor Mazzoni (laughs) was hired by his dad exclusively. Corey Alford was hired by his dad exclusively, and Bo Graham has been hired by his dad exclusively. That's just pure nepotism. Yeah. And and I I could say if Jerry Neuheisel, uh, I mean, obviously, his dad didn't hire him. Jerry Neuheisel is a pretty dynamic, personable guy. He would get a job. Of course. He would just get a job. Yeah. Well, and he already has. Like, provably, yeah. like, it's already, the proof is already there in the pudding. Yeah. Yeah. Remember, uh, Taylor Mazzoni was UCLA's quarterbacks coach. Yeah, he was a wide receivers coach. He was an inside receivers coach. He was a tight ends coach, and he was a quarterbacks coach. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, uh, what do you think about the fact that Hawaii's performance and stats last year have uh, no power? There was no power five. How, so how that's, reliable? That's something where I've, I've, I've tried to apply my own personal grain of salt because even advanced stats, I think, are a little wonky from last year because there's so yeah. few um, interconference games to even kind of gauge what the strength of the different conferences were. Um, so you sort of just have to, okay, leave in whatever you're looking at a little bit. And I think the fact that the offense declined so badly when they didn't even have to contend with a power five defense should be a very worrying sign for Hawaii. That's Uh, worrying. That's a big worry. I think the defense improvement by, by a similar token, it's maybe not as profound as if they'd had non-conference games, but I still think there's some truth to it. I think Todd Graham being a defensive guy, he did instill some, you know, basic guidelines that made them a little bit better. Um, and they should be a better again in year two. Um, so I would anticipate the defense is decent enough, again, for a Mountain West team. The offense, though, I think, again, replacing a, a proven-ish offensive coordinator with your kid to an offense that was already not good last year, um, I would be very worried coming into the season if I was white, especially when you do have a guy like Cordero and you do have a guy like Turner and still the production wasn't very good last year. Here's going to be my question going into every game that we we have to ask ourselves every time. Does the opposing team have the capability of shutting down UCLA's running game? And that's the thing where I just don't think Hawaii has it. Um, They've got, for for Hawaii, I would say their size on the defensive line isn't bad because I've seen some Hawaii defensive lines over the years that have been really tiny. Um, but I just don't think they've got the skill with the linebacker spots. I mean, that one guy, um, God, what's his name? Mausua, I think. He's good. Um, the rest of that linebacker core isn't very good. Um, and at the defensive line, I just don't see a bunch of uh, talent. It's, uh, you know, some decent enough size. But you've got, I think there's one of them who's an Oklahoma transfer who literally never played at Oklahoma. So you don't know if that's, you know, 
was he a true Oklahoma level prospect or was he a complete bust? Um, that's one of the guys. So I, uh, I don't think so. I don't think they have that capability. Um, it's just, I think the talent differential is just too significant. Okay. There we go. Um, I have to admit, I'm probably most excited about this season in a, in a, in a long time. I think, I think we were, were we excited really going to Chip Kelly's first season? We yeah, probably yeah. Come weren't. On. Come on. We no, weren't. no, no, no. We were over the were moon. We? Okay. So, because I, was, I thought we were writing we, things. We, had... we were doing Slack chats and stuff where we posted the Slack chats all about how they were going to run the blur with the DTR uh-huh. and Kaz Allen. I was, yeah. I was a lunatic. We were all lunatics. Okay. Chip Kelly, I thought, baby. I thought we were kind of measured a bit saying we first year, so, not a lot yeah, of talent. So okay. we, we were measured on the record. Uh, or you were, I think, a little bit more than I was. Um, and we were also already pumping the brakes a little bit on recruiting uh, because it had gotten weird over the summer, if you remember. We started that by spring. We, yeah. we were we were on board. Then we started seeing what they were doing. And went, whoa, whoa, by at least Well, and if I want to claim prescience of any sort, I can say that I tweeted out after the spring game that if UCLA's, if that offense is what UCLA's offense is going to look like, then they're going like 2-10 and 10 or something. Um <laughs> But I didn't truly believe that. I believed that it was like some sort of rope-a-dope. Um, and then it turned out that, no, in fact, that was UCLA's offense that they intended to run all year. Yeah, it was the vanilla version, but it was the offense of what he intended to right. run. Um, yes. so that, I, remember, that was, that was shocking. That was stunning. We're all After we had even seen it a lot through and got a feeling for it in spring practice, it was still shocking in that game. Yeah, absolutely stunning how, how mediocre it looked. Um, so, but I, I was still excited for the start of the year because I thought, I don't know, I don't know what I thought. I thought they were still going to try to do some sort of because, uh, because you thought offense. Chip Kelly still. I mean, we were under the impression Chip Kelly would bring a, an elite level of coaching that he would have his players overachieve. Right. So even once we saw that offense, we're all well, okay, still he's a genius. And then we never thought that the defense wouldn't. I mean, we were coming off a pretty bad defense, and actually that first year wasn't as bad as the Tom Bradley defenses we had seen, but it was it was still not good at all. No. Um, and then, you know, Tracy, no, let's not forget 2018, the preamble to 2018, because remember, they closed 2017, or no, sorry, the preamble to 2019. They closed 2018 strong. Like, they had that win over USC. They looked really yeah. good through the final three games, and we were like, yeah. okay, Chip Kelly's got it figured out now. This is going to be a good year. And then they were crap again. Like, I will say I'm probably, I'm, I, I think the team's going to be better this year than I really truly thought either of those two years. That was pure homer cresting. Um, but we were legitimately excited each of those two preseasons. The only one that I was, like, completely out on was last year, and that was for a variety of reasons, including the COVID stuff. Yeah, I want to touch on really, really quickly before we go off on our Homer cresting predictions of the season, um, because there's a lot of discussion. I did write an article about it, about how there are some UCLA fans that are saying, you know, it's just chip. This is chip Kelly's. This has been chip Kelly's plan. He had the blueprint. He was watering the bamboo. And now it's, you know, if they have a good season, it's coming to fruition. But that's for us who have, were there and watched this. It's not really, what happened in a, in a nutshell, what has happened is that Chip Kelly came in, brought in 
a coaching staff and a defensive scheme and and a sense of recruiting and a lot of the things that that just didn't that college football had passed him by and there uh, if you want to call it an arrogance if you want to call it hubris whatever you want to call it I won't even label it but there were miscalculations on on what he needed to do when he first got to UCLA to be successful. Uh, you know, if the, if the defensive scheme ends up being good, give him credit for, for shifting gears two years in and going out and finding Brian Norwood. Uh, give him a lot of credit for that. Um, shifting, recruiting a bit, and then, of course, the transfer portal, which, you know, was a windfall of not of his doing. Um, so it wasn't the original blueprint. It really was a guy who returned to college football, thought he knew it all, in my opinion, and then went, oh, crap, two years in, I need to get back up to speed. Can I give you and some, I, can I give you some yeah. numbers, Tracy? Sure, Dave. All right. Here's how many transfers are slated to start for UCLA in game one, according to the yeah. released depth chart from UCLA. On defense, Daytona Jackson, Mitchell Agude, Caleb Johnson, Jordan Genmarkeith, Genmarkeith, sorry, uh, Quantrez Knight, Obi Ebo, and Cameron Johnson. That is seven of the 11 defensive starters. On yeah. offense, it is Paul Grattan, uh, Britton Brown, and Cam Brown. That is three of the 11. So 10 of the 22 starters for UCLA heading into the opening game are transfers. This so, is, this was not so, the plan. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's do this. Let's 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 concede the JC transfers. Let's just do that because that was a natural thing Fine. that UCLA could do. But the other ones, and you're, and then going beyond the going beyond just the starters, and you got. I, I personally think Zach Charbonnet is going to be a beast. Sure. <laughs> so Zach Charbonnet, uh, so many other transfers that are going to contribute. Um, take all those away. Take them all away. I wrote. I mean, that's what I wrote to my little fantasy post. If you look at the talent that's on this team and you take their rankings out of high school, this is one of the, I would have to say it's one of the top three or four, maybe three, most highly rated in terms of talent coming out of high school teams in the Pac-12. Um, there is... There is no excuse now that there isn't enough talent on this team. I, I mean, Zach Charbonnet coming out of high school was the holy grail of running backs on the West Coast. He went to Michigan, had a, I'm going to say it, a great freshman year last year, hindered by some injury. I, I mean, this is a big time guy. To have a num number two quarterback in Ethan Garbers, who, you know, was a high four-star coming out of high school, set a bunch of high school records throwing the ball, uh, and um, to supplant Chip Kelly's spirit animal <laughs> <laughs> at, at QB2. I mean, there's a lot, there's, and, and let's just, I don't think Jay Toya, I, I bet he plays maybe, but he's not, I don't think he's going to be, play a significant role and it's because uh, I mean Otito Abagna and Daytona Jack and there are guys ahead of him he might but there was talk he was clearly going to walk in probably uh, clearly probably clearly <laughs> probably literally 
Yeah, by fall and started SC. That's what was coming out of spring practice. So this is there's we're we're removing the talent excuse. There's talent, there's a lot of talent on this team given the transfer portal. And the most amazing thing is you gotta remove that entire experience excuse. This is this is a freaky experience team. Um if you look at that two deep, all you see are SR, SR everywhere on that on that two deep. Which, by the way, we're clued in, Chip. We understand that two deep. All that was was putting all of your seniors as uh, that two deep was determined by whether you were a senior or not. So, but anyway, talent and experience this team has. It comes. This comes. This comes really down to coaching. Take everything else away. There's enough talent and experience. There's no those excuses are gone for this season. It's all about coaching. And we've, as you said many times, we've seen the offense, proven offense. Um, unless there's a massive strange hiccup that we can't foresee. But it all comes down to the defense. Mm-hmm. That's what this comes down to. Um, and I I seriously don't know. I really I don't. No, if it was a matter of uh, the defense started out good last year, and then by the end it started to sputter. Well, let me help you was out. It? Let me help you out. Okay. It doesn't matter because the defense is going to be a top 20 defense this year because <laughs> uh, that's the necessary parameter for UCLA to be a you know top 10, 11, and 1 team. So you went way ahead to the homer crusting. You just jumped ahead, and I was We're on a time crunch, Tracy, and I got to okay. do what I got to do. Okay, okay. So let's do that. I really think there's a very good chance the defense comes through. That it, it was a matter of plugging in a lot of talent to many of the roles. There's a very simple reason. <laughs> There's a very simple reason. Yeah. You've got Jordan Jenbar Keith starting at inside linebacker, and Bo Calvert's been moved outside. And, uh, and look, Cam Johnson at a cornerback. Yeah, but also um, there's one still thing left. There's one thing left to see, and that's Carl Jones supplanting Bo Calvert at that outside linebacker spot. Yeah. If that yeah. happens, if we are watching a game on Saturday, tomorrow, and we're seeing mostly Caleb Johnson, Jordan, Jen Markeith, and Carl Jones playing those three spots, um, then, look, I'm calling it homer cresting, and look, 11-1, and one, probably ridiculous, but I'll be so much more confident about this team's ability to actually be good in every game this year. And if they're good in every game this year, all those coin flips that we were talking about suddenly look much more in UCLA's favor. Suddenly those are 60-40 games. Um, okay, among those coin flips, let's get into that. What are the, if UCLA's good, what are the still the toughest coin flip games? I still Utah, think at, Utah's, at Washington and at Utah. At Washington, at Utah. I think I think people are down on Oregon for reasons that make sense, uh, but I think people are underrating how much, um, how much of an upgrade at defensive coordinator uh, Tim DeRuiter is. Uh, that defense is going to suddenly go back to being top 10, top 15 with all the talent they have because DeRuiter is an actual good defensive coordinator. Um, And I think with that, Oregon should be back to looking like that really good team from whatever it was two years ago. Um, So I think Oregon is going to be tough even at home. Um, I'm not super sold on USC. Uh, I think their offensive line has some real weakness um that offensive scheme looked like it took a step back last year um particularly with their inability to run the ball at all um so 
I think it's for me. It's Utah, Washington, and then Oregon. I think LSU at home. Once you factor in if UCLA actually does start all the right guys at linebacker and they're playing the majority of the time, uh, that actually moves more into the sixty forty UCLA territory. I think the ones that are still true coin flips would be Utah and Washington for me, and then probably Oregon as well. But if this defense is the real deal, and that's not that's not a big if. Uh, it was for, uh, like I said, I just have to, because it sounds like we're fantasizing, but we're not. It's based on a lot of stuff that we saw last year. Uh, the defense was improved. Um, we could reasonably say uh, 10 and 2 and a real shot at the Pac 12 championship. Yeah, right? the, tough part, the tough part is the toughest games are in conference. Um, that we're talking about. And so you could see a legitimately very good UCLA team go nine and three. Um, but it, just luck of the draw, they lose both of Washington and Utah, and then they drop to Oregon as well. And then that's probably not a South winner right there. Um, yeah. Because USC, for one, has a much easier conference schedule. They don't have Oregon or Washington this year. This is uh, one of the unfortunate yeah. drawbacks of the you know staggered you know opposite schedules is that UCLA has a very tough conference schedule this year. Um, despite the non-conference schedule having three home games, um, conference play is, is much tougher. So, yeah, there's even a situation where a 10-2 and two UCLA team is tied or behind U- USC in the um, conference that's, rankings. That's why it all goes through the game at the Coliseum. Yeah, but even then, I mean, what if... I mean, USC's got a really easy uh, conference schedule. If they're good... Um, then even if one lost UCLA, if UCLA drops both of that Utah and Washington, then USC wins the division. So it's just, it's going to, it depends on a lot of things. It's just, I would say UCLA's losses, even a good UCLA, their losses are more likely to come in conference play. But let's say this too, if they get eight wins, what makes an eight win season successful to most UCLA fans would be a, a win over SC, Right. Yeah, I mean, it'll depend on how the season plays out because there have been a lot of preseasons where we've said, oh, that USC team should be pretty good and everyone's predicting USC to be a division winner this year. But USC might end up, I, there's a chance USC ends up not being good. Like they that they end up looking pretty mediocre in six and six. And then you might get to the end of the season and UCLA at eight and four beating a USC team that may have fired its coach midseason, you know, don't and, say that. Your guy, <laughs> Dave, what are you, what are you talking about? I'm just about? saying there are degrees. There are degrees of all of this stuff. I think an 8-4, and four, it's really going to depend on the makeup of that 8-4, and four, and I don't even know if 8-4 and four with USC would suddenly make it a satisfying year for you know the entire what, fan base. What does your boy Ryan say Clay needs to do to keep his job? He's out of that game because he's done it so many times where, you know— <laughs> legitimately they should have fired him based on X, Y, or Z, and then they just don't do it. Um, so I think he's kind of just bailed on that whole thing because it's just, uh, you know, and I'm sure he's talking to, like, boosters and everybody who are like, yeah, we're getting rid of him. Um, and then they just don't do it because it's USC and they've got a country club thing going on there. Like, if he doesn't win the Pac-12 South, is he out? I, I my thing, with, my thing with Helton is I think it's the same sort of – I think people think that it's USC, so he has to go like 10-2. and two. If dude goes 8-4 and four and they look decent enough and they win the South, are they really going to ditch him? I don't know. I really don't. I think 8-4 and four that he'd have to win the South. 
I think so too. But what if he does? Zero chance. Or nine and three. Like these are things that are mediocrities to the USC fan base, I guess. Um, but I think for whoever's actually pulling the strings and making decisions there, I think it's, it doesn't yet meet the threshold. So what we want is a nine and three where the three losses are all in conference for you are all in conference and ones against UCLA. So God, I don't know the USC mentality. They, they would probably still fire him on that, but that's what we think. But the USC mentality hasn't really been playing out lately. Yeah, I think, but you know, it, it wears, it keeps the patience. It, it's all building on top of itself. Yeah. I mean, two years ago, but now we're two years further along and everyone tolerating this. And uh, the USC people I know, and one's a donor, they are, they are ready to move on. They, they want a big name, splashy, expensive head coach. That's that's the feeling I get. But. Oh. Well, you know, it's USC, so they're probably going to hire, like, Jack Del Rio. So enjoy that. <laughs> okay. We did it. We, we crushed it. We crushed it. All right. But, so Tracy and I, he's at 10-2. and two, I'm at 11-1. and one. Um, That'll change by halftime tomorrow. <laughs> uh, first quarter. Okay. All right. Well, for Tracy Pearson, I'm David Woods, Bruno Port Online. We'll talk to you again next time. See you all.